Welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers, giving you the motivation and inspiration you need to make the most of your later years. Whether you're still in the planning stages or you're several years in, we'll share stories from boomers who refuse to act their age and continue to live a life inspired. Let them show you how being old can be new if you know what to do with your host, Terry Lorbeer. Hello and welcome to Kickin' Boomers. Paula Judith Johnson is the author of esteemed romance novels such as Sweet Briar, a love triangle romance um, that was for the 2020 Book Excellence Award Historical Romance Finalist, which is great. Then Brewer's Betrothal, a love triangle romance, also 2021 Book Excellence Award Historical Romance Finalist, and then Starting Over, a Second Chance Romance, book number one, and Second Time Around, a Second Chance Romance, book number two. So welcome, Paula. How are you today? I'm doing fine. Thank you very much for having me, Terry. And you know, you've gotten some excellent awards that are hard to get when you're brand new. So hopefully you'll share as we go along what you did to do that, because most first-time novelists aren't getting that kind of attention. So um, well, so I have to say uh, Sweetbriar, which was my first novel, it took me 10 years before I submitted that. Did it? It did. And it's not that I was changing it during that time. It's just I lacked confidence. And that is so true of many people. So, well, tell us your story of how you actually got into romance novels. What made you want to do that versus another type of writing? Why were you drawn to it? So, Well, um, romance, uh, the whole genre, regardless of the subgenres, are based on relationships. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's what makes the world go round. Uh, Relationships, loving, um, how to overcome the challenges. And uh, I think that's what the whole genre, the massive genre is about is, is uh, you know, you have two people or with reverse harem a lot more than that, but, you know, basically two people that uh, for one reason or another feel they can't, uh, they don't deserve love or they can't find love or, um, or love is just something that they have given up on. And, you know, the novels, the whole idea is that, um, you know, people finding themselves worthy of love, finding um, that, uh, you know, love is not something to give up on, and uh, and that they can have that, as it, and that love takes us from being a separate person to being a whole person. It's not that we need somebody else to, to make us whole. Mm-hmm but that we've come to the realization within ourselves of what our flaws or wounds are. We heal those and then we become whole. And, and the, uh, the love interest character um, that we can, the, the, uh, the hero or heroine and a love interest character, then they come together to complement each other rather than complete each other. Right. And I think that's the mistake so many young people make looking for a relationship. They're they're not looking for they want someone that will compliment them, but they don't know how to find it, I think, more than anything else. So 
you know, they're looking for someone that they can help and someone that they can change to make more perfect. And that's never going to work out, right? No, no, you're correct. It's not going to work out. Uh, you, uh, definitely do not marry somebody because you think that you're going to change them. Uh, <laughs> right. No, uh, it, it doesn't work out. It it ends badly. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's all bad. it is. It ends badly. Right, right. And I think women are the most people that read romance law novels. We just love reading them. So more so than men. But is am I wrong? Do you know whether a lot of your audience is male? Well, there's been some studies by Romance Writers of America a number of years ago that um, indicated that as many perhaps as 40% of men will read romance, but only about 20% of them will admit it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> They'll never admit it. I get that. But, but I think so. Well, I think so many genres today include romantic elements as a subplot because yes. um, it helps to invest the reader more because of the relationship aspect of it. Right. I mean, you can have a thriller or an action adventure or a horror or anything of that nature um, without a romantic subplot. But once you put that romantic subplot in there, um, there's there's more at stake right you know and so yeah. that uh, that invests the reader more right and and the whole world is about relationships everything's about relationships i mean the romantic ones are the best but even like i was just on a summit earlier and they talk about selling it's a relationship you're building relationships real estate is a big relationship type of selling like you build relationships they you build trust they like you and then when they're ready to sell their house they come to you because they do trust you they do like you so relationships are key to making the world go round but romance relationships are the best because everyone wants that everyone does Yes. And, yes. and I guess if you don't have it or you don't have a good relationship, then these novels are just, you know, you're living through them, right? Uh, in a lot of ways, yes. I mean, I, I found in my younger years, I would go to reading novels of any genre, for that matter, uh, as an escape me mechanism. Mm -hmm. I think we all go through hard times right. and uh, just want to escape the reality of our lives. And um that's, I think, what novels are for. But one thing I found very interesting in reading novels is that, uh, especially romance novels, is a lot of times it gave me clues of how to uh, organize my own life in a way that worked better. And in my uh, in the novels that I write, I would hope that. Um, that my characters in overcoming the challenges that they have um, help other people to see how they can perhaps organize their life in a little bit better manner also. Mm, that's good. That, you see, I never looked at a romance novel that way, but I guess it could be that, you know, the more you hear other people's stories and learn by what they did, it can always help you. So that's great. Mm -hmm. So you, I, I, um, understand that you also do summits and master classes to help other people learn how to write romance novels. I think that's great because I think a lot of people want to do it and don't know how, don't know where to start. So, yeah, and and I I I found that a challenge myself. Um, 
I think the only reason I was able to, I, I didn't understand about structure or anything like that. I had not written creatively since high school and mm-hmm. I was in my fifties when I started writing, but I had read so many novels and so many romance novels mm-hmm. that the structure was kind of ingrained in my brain. I, I didn't even realize it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that helps today uh, you know, online and everything, you can find so much information about this. I mean, you could spend a lifetime researching and never getting around to, to writing, but right. <laughs> you know, there, there, there is certain structures to romance novels mm-hmm. and, um, and you can find that out online these days, which is very nice. And when I started my summits, um, which, uh, my first summit was in February of, uh, 2023, Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I had really been wanting to find a way to reach more romance authors. I had started a Facebook group a couple years ago, uh, uh, Romance Dreamweavers, and it's exclusively for romance authors. And I had wanted a way to reach more. I had about 500 members after a year, and about half of those had shared their email address with me. But I wanted to reach more. So I learned how to do summits and I launched my first summit. The man who taught me had never taught a, a fiction author. He had taught nonfiction authors, but he seemed to think that I could do it. So, uh, you know, I launched my first one in February and, um, you know, I did not completely follow his advice. I did as well as I could. Mm-hmm. And um, we had about, 1400 participants as far as registrations and out of that we sold 134 tickets um and uh i got some great feedback i learned um what i had done wrong as far as promotion because i didn't pay for any promotion it was the speakers who were supposed to promote right but I had a lot of speakers that didn't have a list to promote to. So in addition to myself, there was only out of 29 speakers, there was only eight other people that promoted. Oh, uh, you know, which that happens a lot. It does. Yep. Yeah. Well, and it's because, as I said, a lot of them didn't even have lists. So in August, when I did my summit, um, uh, I made sure that we had a lot of people that were going to promote. Out of uh, 33 speakers, uh, only six of them did not promote. We had uh, over 4,000, almost 5,000 people register, and we sold 416 tickets. Wow, that's phenomenal. That really is good. I don't know if you know that. Uh, I, I, I Statistics is excellent. Well, a- absolutely, it is. I didn't realize it at the time. The man right. who taught me how to do summits, he right. told me that that summit exceeded the best he had ever done. <laughs> wow, you're kidding <laughs> Although he did, he he. Any romance novelists out there? I know, and I mean, this was this was for the authors, not for the readers. Just for all, I know. Wow. And and um, he did he did do a summit two weeks later with another man that jointly together they uh, sold over six hundred tickets and they had over six thousand participants. So, okay. so now I have a new goal. <laughs> but but as a newbie, the fact that you beat him out before he did that is pretty phenomenal yeah yeah and uh i and what i have found you know i mean 
I worked in banking for 18 years. I did not feel I had ever helped anyone. Uh, you know, it was a service that you provided. I had a financial services business for 24 years. I was helping people, but I was never truly satisfied in that. And this, I, I realized I am helping people because we all have a voice and we all need to share that voice with the world. We need to get our stories out. Yep. I'm helping people and I love what I'm doing. So, you know, I've, I finally found my, my, my purpose in life. Right. That's the important thing. And I think a lot of boomers are finally finding their purpose. Like, you know, when you're busy, you get married, you have kids, you, you have your job and whatever. You don't really have time to think, what is my real purpose? What is my skill that I do better than anyone that I can share with the world? So as we get older and we don't have the... Um, that we're not giving time to raising children all now we have extra time to do what we really want and it's the best time of our lives i love it more and more boomers are doing exactly what you're doing sharing with other people whether they're boomers or not but you're sharing your skills that's the important thing yeah absolutely and i see so many people my age and a little bit younger i'm 70 right now mm -hmm. and um i see people my age and a little bit younger and you can tell where their mind is. Their mind is, I'm old. They act old. They yeah. think old. Yeah. And I'm too I'm too young to be old. <laughs> Me too. I don't think old. Uh-uh. And I'm 73. I'm like, I'm planning on moving to Florida. I want to be going out at night to the live music and I'll be swimming and dancing and I'm doing my podcast. And I'm just thinking of more and more things I can do. And my message to boomers is get up off the couch. If you're a couch sitter and you're just watching TV, you won't live to be 90 because you won't be healthy. Get out there and do things. And when you do something that you have a passion for, that helps keep you healthy too. It revs you up. Absolutely. You can feel like all of your cells become way more alive when you're doing what you love to do. Oh, yeah. You can feel you can feel the energy flow. It, yes. It, it's amazing. And uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct, Terry. If you want to live a long time, live a full life right right keep living until there's no life left keep working until that i mean there's a lot of actors that will just keep working as long as they can the men seem to get more jobs than the females uh, up into their 90s and after but there's been a few betty white did excellent until right before she died uh so there are some that still do really well but the more you can just keep, oh, I interviewed Bobby Rydell. He was one of my first ones back. He was like number 21 of my podcast. And I'm now up to about 157. And he was singing almost up until he died. He just kept singing and singing. And he loved it. There's nothing he loved more. So when you have a passion and you do that, you will want to keep doing more and you'll want to stay healthy and you feel good about yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I think I think, you know, you go through life and it beats you down a little bit. It does. Um, I remember I was in my 30s, I guess, when driving home from work one day, I was in a situation I could not leave my job. My husband had been injured. 
Uh, the state of Oregon had kicked thousands of people off of the Oregon Accident Insurance Fund, oh. and and it took 18 months to get him on full Social Security. For so for that 18 months, his monthly income was 78 dollars. Oh. There was no there was no way I could leave my job. No. It was it was horrible. I was not appreciated. Let me put it that way. I was in uh, I was in the first rung of management. Oh. I had pressure from up above. I had pressure from down below. I was stuck. I was driving home one day. I pulled off to the side of the road because I was in tears. And I said, oh, just stop the world and let me off, <laughs> of course. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Um, maybe I don't want that to happen. I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. <laughs> Cancel. Cancel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, then I came to the realization, I cannot change my circumstances, right. but I can change my perception of those yes. circumstances. And um, that, I think, is the most profound realization I came to in my life. I had a lot of bumpy roads after that. I mean, my husband was ill for 25 years before he passed away. And, um, you know, I came out of that. uh, uh, I work with an energy healer, and she says I came out of that like a spiked armadillo. (laughs) (laughs) I had had closed myself off to everything. It was like nothing's going to hurt me again. Right. And she has helped me open up. Uh, What you see now is not the woman I was a year and a half ago. I'm more than willing to share anything about my life with anyone to say I've been through some hell. I've come back. I've opened myself up. I've opened my heart up. And um, this this is the result is that um, I have a, a beautiful business that I wake up excited about every single day. I appreciate every single person that I come into contact with. One of my mantras is that um, although I induce people to serve me, I, uh, I serve them as well. Yes. And that anyone who does uh, anything to do with me, uh, it benefits them in some way. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I want. I want to be able to help people, uh, inspire people. I want to help people get their voice out into the world because we all have something to give to the world. There is a reason for our existence. We and do. Absolutely. In fact, on my LinkedIn this morning, I said that, that we all have a gift. It's different for everyone, but we need to share it with the world. So get Absolutely. it out there. Don't be afraid. But you were saying that, um, I think it was pre-recording that your first book, you had done for 10 years, but you didn't get it up there because you didn't have the confidence. And I think a lot of us struggle with that. So tell us what you did to get the confidence to get that book out and published. Well, it was it was published. I am self-published, so it okay. was published. But, you know, here, you know, you write the book, you get it edited, you go through revisions, you're so excited, you get it up there, and you think, it's on Amazon, millions of people are going to read it, and then you find out that no. nothing happens. <laughs> nothing happens. Oh, but I, I, I did have... How many I, authors don't know that? You have to constantly be marketing yourself and your books. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, it took a while, but I finally got some good reviews. And with those reviews, the confidence built a little bit. I yeah. wrote some additional books. And, uh, you know, I finally, you know, I kept hearing about, you know, enter contests, uh, you know, do this, do that. And I finally said, okay, I'm going to enter this contest. And, uh, you know, I was like, 
maybe maybe I'll get an honorable mention, but to become a finalist, uh, that one just it it that really built my confidence. And so when I wrote, it's not exactly a sequel, but it is tied together. Uh, Brewer's Betrothal. I submitted that one also, and was also a finalist there. Um, I I think I need to perhaps. Um, to, to get that final push over to being the winner, you know, there there are certain, there's a lot of, when it comes to historical, there's a lot of subcategories. And um, I write in the Regency era, but I prefer to write about things that happened in America. Mm-hmm. And so if I would convert those over to more of a Regency, they happen in England, I mm-hmm. would probably be able to, to catapult myself into that final, uh, you know, into winning. Right. But... I follow my heart and my heart is I'm an American. I don't believe that there are enough people that know our history well enough right. and that uh, by sharing the stories that my era is the, you know, uh, surrounding the War of 1812, the forgotten uh, War of Independence. Yeah, right. And and so, um, I, yeah, I feel like I'm educating in as well as entertaining. Right. So. I think that's great because we don't know hardly anything about our history. So if we can pick up a romance novel and learn a little bit of history at the same time, it's a win-win situation. So that's great. So how much research do you have to put into those kind of books? Because you actually want to be very factual. So I'm imagining it takes a lot. Uh, For me, authenticity is crucial. Uh, I read uh, some books and you can tell when an author hasn't done her research. Um, so, uh, Sweetbriar, you know, I don't write every single day, uh, mm-hmm. but Sweetbriar, in addition to the writing, uh, took me uh, three years to uh, get done. It didn't, that wasn't just the first draft. That was from beginning to write it to actually getting it published was three years. But I would say a good portion of that a uh, year, year and a half of it was devoted to research. Um, and thank goodness for Google. <laughs> oh God, yes. It's I mean, nice I started research. Work. I started researching it um, w- through the libraries, and you know, you can only go so far, and you can only read so much dry history, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was uh, surprisingly, I found um, a Canadian website that has everything about uh, the War of 1812 from the Canadian's point of view, which I found very helpful to tell you the truth. Uh, but um, yeah, so it took some research. I, My husband and I had been for 20 some odd years members of a black powder mountain man shooting club. So I was familiar with shooting cap locks and flint locks and loading them and caring for them. And so, uh, you know, that was one thing that helped me. And that's one area that very definitely I can tell when uh, an author is writing, you know, a romance author is writing about Regency or whatever. It's like, well, you haven't done your research because you can actually find this information online. When you have a foot-long gun, you don't right. just stick it in your pocket. And if it's a flintlock, it's not going to fire when you pull it out. <laughs> well, that's good. So people understand that you are doing your research, which is probably why you were a finalist for all those awards, because it was authentic and it was well-written. Mm-hmm. And it's like with Brewer's Betrothal, there was a, a, 
I needed to know find something about horses. I'm not a horsewoman, but fortunately, I knew a woman. Uh, she actually knew a lot more about horses than I had any clue. I knew she had a horse, so I thought, oh, well, I'll ask her about horses. <laughs> oh, my goodness. She knew the history of different breeds and all this kind of stuff, which was very instrumental uh, because she let me know for the time period and the location that I was working on, it had to be a Morgan. It couldn't be anything else. Uh, it had to be a Morgan. And then, you know, most of them were black at that time. Hmm. But I needed a distinctive horse. And she says, oh, well, you need to give it a snip then. And the snip is a, is a white thing by its nostrils uh-huh. rather than a blaze on its forehead and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, wow. little things like that. You you need to know these things. And yeah. so you need to find people or find sources to go to. Right. And the best thing you can do is to go to original sources if possible. But if not, if you can only get secondary sources, you know, things, articles that have been written by scholars about uh, whatever topic it is, try to find two or three to collaborate each other, to corroborate each other. Right. Um, to make sure that the information is correct. Right. Wow. So you said that you don't write every day. Do you have some kind of a system? You know, do you write when most writers don't write when the when it hits them? They write, you know, they have a some kind of a system because if you wait for inspiration, you're probably never going to get your book written, right? You have Absolutely to have correct. some kind of a system. So I was still working uh, when I started to write. So um, you know, how do you balance all this? Fortunately, I didn't have children in the household. But I had a husband, and uh, uh, I decided the only thing I could do was to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, so I had two hours to write every day before going to, to work. I had my own business, but I still had to get ready for work. Right. And I don't know. I think I was about, uh, it was, a few months had gone by, I, and as I said, I had not written creatively in years. My husband woke up one morning, and he says, why on earth are you getting out of bed so early in the morning? And I said, well, I'm writing a novel. And he said, what makes you think you can write a novel? I said, I have no idea. Here, read it and tell me. If it's schlock, I will quit. You know, first draft, very rough, about two-thirds finished. And not like he's going to read romance, right? Right. He comes back to me a few days later and he says, you have a good story here. Keep writing. Wow. And it, it, it wasn't in, it wasn't until about two years later that I found out uh, that in in the writing community they say never show your work to a spouse they will never support you <laughs> right they usually don't so the fact that he said you have a good story you were lucky because he could have discouraged you from moving further oh he could have but I yeah. I would have gotten a lot more beauty sleep but right. um uh, but I finished it he asked me so how does it end. I said, you have to read it if you want to know. And he did. He he read it and he loved it. He said to me afterwards, when my second, third, and fourth books came out, he says, I hope you didn't ever want me to read another romance. <laughs> he never read another thing I wrote. <laughs> oh, wow. But at least he read the first one. So that's great. He, he did. And he was instrumental in, in encouraging me. So uh, I'm forever thankful for that. That is good, but don't look to family members because they usually will not encourage you. Years ago, I was trying to write articles to sell to magazines, and I let my sister read them and maybe edit them because she was really good at writing. I wasn't so good, but she goes, this is crap. Just rip it up and throw it away. Like, really? So really discouraged me. So I didn't continue on writing, 
but I have a flair for speaking, so you can't shut me up. I keep talking. <laughs> You're but doing great, Terry. Better, I might have, you know, but oh, yeah, it, very definitely. Writing um, improves with practice. Yes. I know that uh, you know it's really important to use uh, metaphors and similes in writing to help make points. You don't want to spread it all over the place, but every once in a while for an important point, mm -hmm. you want to do that. Well, how do you get better at writing metaphors and similes? What I do is that when I'm reading a novel and I come across a metaphor or a simile that really resonates with me, I write it down and then I practice. How can I change this to make it better to not make it better but to make it mine right um you know an example uh i forget who wrote it but it was um um it talked about a woman who was walking through an airport and her heels were click 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 clicking you know and so i kind of used that and it's uh you know like uh her her anger could be heard in the sound of the click of her heel or something like that you know mm -hmm. uh you know the you know the click of her heels um the click of her heels trans transmitted her anger you know is, is almost like a like right. a morse code <laughs> you know? right right but, but you know you so you write three or four of these different things you write it as a metaphor you write it as a simile and you know you do that for a while and then what you do is as you're writing along you're going oh that would work perfect here and right. then you've got it and you don't get those on the first draft uh you know you go back you you write your story to discover the story mm -hmm. then you go through and you use a draft to tighten it up you get rid of of your filler words and and uh you know you show rather than tell um you show the action rather than just telling what the action was mm -hmm. then you do another one where you're trying to find where good places for these things you do one you know so you might do three or four or five different edits my advice is if it's in your budget hire an editor you might be able to find somebody on on fiverr or something like that i was fortunate to find my editor in a writing class that i took mm -hmm. but um it's really hard to edit your own work i in fact i even use grammarly um in my in my writing i i will use grammarly to to self-edit before I send it to my editor. Mm -hmm. That saves me money. <laughs> yes, right. It does. <laughs> but that's true. To totally edit your own work, you're too close to it. And I know sometimes I'm reading something and I'm reading the wrong word over and over again because your brain is putting a different word in there because you think that makes sense. And that's why sometimes when I'm reading a book, I'm like, oh, they missed that mistake. They missed that mistake. Because that's what happens. You're reading it over and over, and you're you're seeing the right word, even though it's not there. Absolutely, absolutely. And and I mean, you'll find that even in professionally edited books, in in traditionally yeah. published books, you'll yes. find it. But but you want to keep that to a bare minimum. A minimum. Absolutely. So, are you going to be having future summits? Um, if someone in the audience was interested in coming to one of your summits, where would they find you? How could they do oh, that? Oh, well, the best thing to do is to just email me at paulajudithjohnson 
at gmail.com. I can put them on my list to notify them. I am currently interviewing uh, speakers for my next summit, which will air the third week of February. Um, The third week of February and the third week of August are the two summits that I do for romance authors every year. And um, uh, so if any of your listeners uh, know anything about the craft of writing, uh, publishing, either traditional or self-published, or marketing, either organic or paid, they can contact me. I am looking for um, speakers for my next summit, right. and um, preferably that they would have a list of an audience that they email to or um, on social media that they can contact because we don't advertise. We uh, um, uh, we find our uh, attendees by you know who we know right and um i do pay out a 50 percent commission on the tickets sold so that's always nice um i paid out uh i think it was right around fourteen thousand dollars in commissions for my last summit mm, wow nice nice yeah. so um so you know um yeah if they want to find out about my summits if they're interested in learning about writing uh, Paula Judith Johnson at gmail.com is the easiest place to get a hold of me. I am in the process. It's not going to happen before the end of the year, but the two summits I've already had will be available as evergreen products to purchase, but oh. they're not available at this time. Nice. So maybe next year. So that's good. Huh? Yep. Oh. So yeah, the, and then a- after get this, on her will. mailing list, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and then th- this, this one coming up in February and everyone after that um, will go on Evergreen much quicker. Right. Like oh, yeah, because weeks. once it's set up, it's easy. Yeah. It's just getting everything in place that takes time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been very interesting. I do think there's a lot of um, people that want to write out there. I've interviewed a ton of authors that are baby boomers, but I know there's many, many more that are out there thinking about it. So if it's romance novel, that's their genre, hopefully they will get on your mailing list. So when you do the next uh, summit, they'll be able to be part of it because that is a really good way to learn. You do need someone that can kind of help you along the way because- absolutely. And, and so at the first learn. at the first of the year, the I think it's uh, it'll launch January tenth. Um, I have the Writing Romance Mastery course, which covers the essential beats of a romance novel. Ah, so if a person wants to learn to write romance, uh, that will be the way to go. Also, next year I will be um, uh, hooking up with um, uh, a sci-fi fantasy author, and he and I will be. Uh, uh, launching a sci-fi fantasy uh summit for writers of sci-fi and fantasy wow that's interesting because there's there are people that love that too love my son was into sci-fi when he was younger so absolutely uh, and then and then not next year but the year after that i hope to to find a uh, mystery thriller author that wants to hook up to do uh summits so that uh so that we'll cover the three major uh right genres and great and it really encourage more people to learn how to write these stories and get these stories out of their head and onto paper and into the world right but you know what even if it never makes it into the world if they get it onto paper they're going to feel better about themselves just absolutely 
And then, you know, you got it onto paper. If you want to pursue it and go further, great. But you don't have to if you don't want to. Just getting the story onto paper is good. That's absolutely true. And that that goes for memoir or memoir of... Let's see if I can even say the word memoir writers. Yeah, um, you know there are people that have fascinating stories. I was talking to uh, uh, Valika Gray last week, and uh, to me, she has an absolutely fantastic life story. I mean, she was an actress. She uh, was a judge of the Emmys, and she has has taught acting. And oh my gosh, she's had a fantastic story. I'm sure she has learned many things along the way. And that's what memoir is about. Putting down your life story and putting down the things that you have learned from your life. And if you never share it with anybody except leave it for posterity, that's good too. That is good too. And I have a woman who tries to get boomers to tell their life story so that it's there for their children and grandchildren. Because Mm -hmm. you don't always share everything with them. You don't think of it. But if you start writing down memoirs, you know, way back in grade school or, you know, this happened and stories about maybe your parents when you were growing up because they haven't heard those stories. So um, she's encouraging boomers to do that too. So there's a lot of different things to write. Absolutely. I, uh, I remember asking my mother shortly before she passed away how her parents met, and she had no idea. She said, I never thought to ask them. Right. And, and you know, it's like, oh, well, there's a little bit of history that is lost now because I, I have no, and now my mom's gone, so I don't even right. have a way of, of finding out more about her and my dad, you know, but uh I mean, I I lived with them, so I know a lot, but but not you know, everything, right? Not everything. not everything. Nope, not everything. So I'm in the process of taping some of my stories because I met my husband in Germany. He was a German citizen. We got married over there. I brought him back here, and my family was back was from Germany. My mother came here when she was 15 years old. She immigrated, so I had the German background. But there's a lot of things the kids don't know about you know him being a merchant marine before we met and got married places he went things he saw and then you know just when i was over there in germany for a year what happened so i'm going to start taping things first and then maybe working up some common memoir and it's important because today there's so much going on that you just don't think to tell and whenever i start telling a story my kids are go tape that tape that get your phone out put that on tape because they're not going to remember it either just me telling it to them no they're and and, and children and even you know uh, uh my husband's children's age i mean they don't understand the world that we grew up in. they don't no. understand um, a, a world of not having television. They don't understand a world of not having microwaves, of not having a cell phone. I mean, right. I mean I'm I'm in the sure. airport to pick someone up and you have no way of contacting them. Yeah. So you park yeah. and you hope they landed fine and you're there. I mean, so many things that were harder for us back then. So but it's another way. So it goes, it goes both ways. But yeah, they don't understand that at all. No, I, I remember hearing a story about uh, um, somebody saying uh, a knob on your on your uh, the inside of your car door, and it's like, well, that's the knob to roll up the window, right? Well, what do you mean roll up the window? <laughs> yeah, 
scroll it up. <laughs> That's called muscle power. <laughs> right? They had no idea. So when you came up to pay a toll, you had to roll it down, put your money out, roll it back up. Now everything you just drive through and it's all electronic. It's I know. So I remember that the, the windshield wipers going squeak, 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 because it wasn't actually raining hard enough to have, but there was only one speed. Right? <laughs> So many stories. So, yeah, we need to start telling more of these because at some point they're going to wonder and wish they had asked. Because there's questions I wish I had asked my parents that I didn't. So we're all going to. So I'm trying to get a lot of stories out so that they don't feel like, oh, I wish I had asked them that. I wish I had asked them that. And, and you know, about their background, their family members in Germany, their family members here. So there's a lot to tell. So when I get to Florida, I'm going to be very busy. <laughs> Yes. Well, I think I think that you'll have some wonderful stories to tell your children and grandchildren, and it's and it's great that you are conscious of that. Yes. I w- I wish uh, I have a cousin who has delved a lot into our family history on my mother's side because uh, um, her brother, her father, and my mother were brother and sister, and they were both adopted. So there was a lot that that was blanks. You know, right. for for even them as adults that they didn't know about their own past that she is now discovering. She discovered that uh, her father's um, birth parents had married after they gave him up for adoption. You know oh. that it, it was it was they couldn't keep him because they weren't married yet. But they yeah. ended up getting married. They ended up having two children. They ended up living in the same town the entire time. Oh, and they God. never knew each other. Oh, what a shame! What a shame! Yeah, yeah it's so, just crazy. Yeah, so there's so, a lot of stories. Yeah, and we can research a lot of that online now. But you know, there's yeah. a lot of background stuff that I can fill in that they wouldn't be able to find. So. It really is yeah. important. So it is. It is. Well, Terry, thank you so very much. It has been a delight meeting you and being thank a you. guest. It's been great. And I know the audiences is going to go- love this uh, podcast because we went beard in a lot of different directions and it was just a lot of fun. They're going to have fun listening. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Kick-Ass Boomers. For more information on today's guest, along with the show notes and other inspiring resources, buzz on over to kickassboomers.com. And don't forget to join our Kick-Ass community on Facebook or LinkedIn to continue the conversation. Be bold, not old. Looking to take your podcast to the next level with video? Are you looking to develop a podcast but don't know where to start? From recording and editing to final distribution and marketing, we can help every step of the way to make your podcast stand out and get the results it deserves. Contact us today at premierpodcastpros.com to take your podcast to the next level.